This is my desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart. I worship you. Preston Crest. We are glad to see all of you who are joining us here in person and as well as those of you who are joining us virtually. My name is Mike Pipkin. I'm one of the shepherds here at Preston Crest and we are glad that you are here with us today. Uh, if you would take this opportunity to check in, if you're a member, you can uh, text the word check in to the telephone number 
uh, that is, there we go, to, uh, up on the screen. You can also use the barcode on the cards that are in the pew back in front of you. If you're visiting with us today, not only would we like for you to uh, to check in with us so that we know that you're here, but if you're a first-time member, please fill out that welcome card and take it to the information center in the back. We've got a special gift for you, and we'd like to, to get to know you better, or maybe give you some information about the Bible classes that will be happening after uh, this time in worship today. Uh, members, just as a reminder, uh, if you text the word me to the number uh, that's on the screen in front of you, that's going to give you access to the church directory. That'll give you an opportunity to send prayer requests that the uh, elders will consider and pray over tomorrow night in our, in our uh, time together. We want to celebrate right now uh, a great thing that happened this last week. Uh, as many in, the, uh, in our uh, service knows that Women in Worship started this last week. Uh, we had a great presentation uh, by uh, the mother of several of our members uh, here at Preston Crest. Uh, we had uh, more than 100 women that gathered here uh, that listened to a wonderful lesson that celebrated in song and then, and then celebrated a, a time of fellowship together. We're thankful for Karen McCauley and Annette Collier and their leadership for women of worship. Uh, if you weren't able to participate this week, we encourage you to come back up here on Tuesday because this is a weekly thing uh, for most of the school year. So please participate with the women in worship uh, in the weeks to come. But we're just thankful for a great, great first time this last week. If you would bow with me for a word of prayer, we'll continue our time in worship. Dear Lord in heaven, we are thankful to be here today, to be thankful in this, this wonderful uh, auditorium that, is, is, that you provided for us. Among our brothers and sisters in Christ gathered together in fellowship, we are thankful to be here. We are thankful for, uh, for this congregation, for our brothers and sisters, uh, not only here, but across the world. Lord, we are mindful right now of those in our congregation who are suffering. We are mindful of really a world that is straining because of Satan's efforts. Lord, we are the light of yours in this world, and we need to know that. We need to be prepared to tell our story, to talk to people about why we believe what we believe. Lord, help us to not just be a people that, that sits and listens, but a people that talk about you, talk about your son Jesus, talk about why we have the faith that we do, why we know that we are saved because of your grace. What a great message we have to be able to share, Lord. Empower us to do that. Equip us to do that. Lord, we are thankful for this time together in worship. We ask your blessing through the remainder of this morning on John Scott as he leads us in worship and on Gordon as he brings us yet another powerful message from the Sermon on the Mount. Bless us as we continue this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 86, 9 and 10. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Let's continue in worship this morning. 
And let's do so while standing, please, church. Let's stand and sing. You are God alone from before time began. sing one more song as we are entering into our time of communion now. And this morning, men from the newly formed Rooted class are going to be uh, leading our time around the bread and cup. This morning uh, at first service, it's Brian Hurst. And uh, we're glad that these guys are starting this new class. Called, we'll, we'll share a little bit more with you about that later on in our service. But let's, uh, let's sing. Lost Thank you. 
church. For those of y'all that don't know me well, um, my name is Brian Hurst. I wanted to tell y'all a couple things about me this morning. Um, first, I try to go on a run every, you know, a couple times a week. Um, and the second, I'm an accountant. Uh, my problem is, though, that when I get up and I go for my run in the morning, the accountant shows up too. And, and he makes me want to run that same loop around my neighborhood. Um, so probably 95% of the time, uh, I, I run that same route on the same side of the street because it makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel safe. I know I'm secure. I know my path. But every once in a while, there'll be construction or just something that prevents my normal route. And I have to make a small change. It might be as simple as just running on the other side of the street uh, for a little bit. It, it seems like every time when this happens, uh, I have to break out of my comfort zone just a little bit. I'm amazed at how my same route can feel so totally different by just a simple, small change of my running path. I'm able to see new flowers. I'm able to see new landscaping. I'm even able to notice houses that somehow had just gone unnoticed before. And it's in these moments that something that can feel so routine actually becomes rejuvenating and new. I thought about how a small change might provide new realizations in the context of taking the Lord's Supper, as we're about to do this morning. You may be like me and enjoy going through that same process and routine in taking your communion, but today I'm going to ask you to run on the other side of the street, and I'm going to ask you to try to change something about your communion routine to hopefully allow yourself to see or feel something new that God wants you to experience today. So how are we going to do this? Maybe if you're someone who always prays during their communion time, maybe today you can meditate on the words of a hymn or a verse. Here's an example of a hymn that might resonate with you this morning as we consider Jesus' sacrifice. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, 
he washed it white as snow. I'm going to read those words one more time and just, just let those wash into you this morning. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Or maybe you could meditate on the words from 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. I'm going to read that again one more time too. Just think about these words this morning. But if I walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And in the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. All sin. Or maybe we could get real crazy this morning and even alter our posture a little bit to allow us to be open to God's spirit by physically holding out our hands to receive the grace that God is providing us today. Or maybe it's as simple as just placing your hand on your son or your daughter or your husband or your wife or your friend's shoulder as you pray this morning and allow yourself to feel that connection that we have being fellow, fellow members of the body of Christ, especially in this moment as we take communion together as the body of Christ. Whatever it is for you this morning, I encourage you to get out of your comfort zone just a little bit, run on the other side of the street, and just make that small change that can open you up to what God may have in store for you today. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father God, as we take this unleavened bread, which represents Christ's body, we are once again reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross and how through the sacrifice we are saved by your grace. We are amazed at this eternal plan that you set into motion so many years ago and how each week during this time we get to reflect on this precious sacrifice. We thank you for this grace and the confidence that it brings as we get to be a part of your kingdom here on earth and as we look forward to joining you in heaven one day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Join with, join with me as we pray for the cup. Father God, now as we take this cup, which is a symbol of his blood shed for us and our sins, we are thankful that our sins can be erased and our past failures no longer have bearing on our eternal future. We can be confident in the salvation that is provided through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you for such a wonderful gift this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
offering, you can drop that in the box in the middle of the foyer. And uh, you can give online also. Thank you for, for doing that. However you choose to give, you are furthering the work of God's kingdom in this place and outside of these walls. And uh, in just a moment, you're going to see a, a, a video giving just a little bit more information, like I, like I said earlier, about the rooted class. Our adult education is such a good work in this place as we, we, we break into smaller groups here on Sunday morning, and that's where we really get connected with each other and with him. Let's, uh, let's bow. Father God, thank you for opportunities to serve, for opportunities to work, for opportunities to give. We thank you. Use us, Father. Use us for your kingdom business. Hear our prayer. It's in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hi, I'm Brian Hurst. And I'm Allison Hurst. And we are members of Preston Crest's newest Bible class, Rooted. Our class is a collection of families, couples, and individuals seeking to be rooted and established in love as we encourage one another toward the upward call of Christ. We hope for Rooted to be a class where we cultivate each other's spiritual strengths, bless our church family and community, and grow in knowledge of the Lord and His Word. We may be walking in several different phases of life, but we recognize that each of us has a story that benefits our group goal to glorify God. Just like the tree planted by the water from Jeremiah 17, we desire to grow to be better friends, spouses, parents, and children of God. Join us as we dig deep roots in the Word of God to prayerfully produce good fruit for Him. Good morning. I want to let you know about a conference that will be coming to Preston Crest in February of 2023. It is called Telling the Story, a conference on church growth and evangelism. Last spring, our elders enthusiastically and graciously approved this conference. And since that time, a great committee and myself, we've been making some exciting plans for next February. The conference will begin on February the 3rd, that Friday evening, with Brother Shelton Gibbs III uh, from Greenville Avenue bringing us a great, powerful message. Then that day on Saturday, February the 4th, there will be 30, 30 different classes and teachers here in each class and each teacher will be focusing on a different facet of church growth and evangelism. That evening of the 4th, there will be a free celebration of ministry dinner. And that Sunday morning, February the 5th, the conference will conclude after second service <clears throat> with the former president of Harding University, Bruce McClarty, preaching that morning. More details will be coming in the month of October, but I would ask that you go ahead right now, mark this down on your calendars for February 3rd through the 5th of 2023, as churches all across DFW, many churches across the nation, and of course, us here at Preston Crest as we come together to dream and to discuss how we can better tell the story of Jesus. Thank you. Thanks, Jacob. Church, real quick, we are tying a quilt out in the foyer, and this is for Joyce Heaps. Please take her name with you this week after you stop by and tie a knot in that quilt. Let's stand. We're going to send kids on up to Children's Church, and we'll sing uh, 
sing this great song, Great Are You, Lord, before Gordon comes to share with us this morning. You give life, you are love, you bring light to sing this prayer over us before we get into the word this morning. As it is 
in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, brother. You know, that was going to be a duet, but my voice is a little weak today, so I appreciate you uh, <laughs> taking that solo today. Debbie Russo's is here, all the way from Athens, Greece. Love Debbie, love Dino. What amazing work they do. And I was looking at something that Dino sent out a while back, and I was just looking at all the different worship services in Athens on a Sunday, and all the different languages, and the Greek, and the English, and the Russian, and, and Farsi, and am I missing anything? <laughs> There's a lot of different things, and I love that. That is a true mission work, and we're glad that you're here. We're glad that we get to partner with you as well, and hopefully you have a good time of visiting family and, and church family as well. So this morning we arrive in Matthew chapter 6 at what I think for many of us is the heart and soul of the Sermon on the Mount. And it is that prayer that John Scott just sung over us, the Lord's Prayer. Um, now up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, I mean it's been challenging. Jesus' words are true and they are strong words for us. He has systematically taken us into a look at, at what our best life looks like, what it looks like when we are tied into the heart of God, into his righteousness. He has shown us that we have to reject counterfeit uh, things of, of religion and spirituality to embrace what is real and true, the heart of God, and really accept nothing less than what is true. And basically, that means we're running after the kingdom of God. It means we're, we're hungry for it, uh, that we want God and the things of God, and we have determined we won't be satisfied unless we are in the kingdom and close to the Lord, and we're seeking the reign of Jesus in every part of our lives as individuals, as a church family, and we're seeking that reign here in Dallas as well. That's why we would talk about something like sharing the story, something like evangelism. We want to see his reign continue out and see others begin to live their best lives as well. Um, way back in week one, Jesus told us something extraordinary. Uh, he told us, blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, that's not really a message that we hear in our world today, not one that they heard 2,000 years ago either. Blessed are the wealthy and the powerful and the strong. Uh, no, blessed are the poor in spirit because 
you've got to realize when you come into the presence of God that you don't really offer him anything. You really don't have any leverage. You really don't have any power over God. You come with, and I like Brian Hurst this morning, empty hands, empty hands. You offer nothing to God except your worship, except your heart. And so Jesus, uh, throughout really the Sermon on the Mount, up to this point, just bulldozes any sense of self-righteousness, any sense that I come to God and I, I have something that he needs or requires from me. And I think he made that uh, pretty clear as he just knocked down our self uh, salvation projects. Remember when Jesus talked about our anger, he said, you know, you don't have to murder someone to be guilty of breaking the spirit of the law when it comes to murder. If you can't control your anger, you're just as guilty as the murderer. Wow. And that was in chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. I want to ask you, does that make you feel better about your spirituality? Does that make you feel better about your righteousness? No, of course it doesn't. It's Jesus pointing to our emptiness, to our need for God, to the fact that we cannot make ourselves righteous on our own. And then he talked about adultery. He said you don't even need to actually commit the act with anyone to be guilty of breaking that command. He said if you just look at a woman with lust in your heart, verse 28, then you are guilty again. Nobody steps away from that feeling better, more secure in their standing before God. No one walks away from feeling like I'm just knocking that out of the park. Thank you for that, Jesus. So affirming is that. And then he talked about our anger and more specifically about our, our, our love-hate relationship with people around us. He said, you know, it's normal for people to love their friends and those around them. That's, that's nothing special about that. Even the pagans do that. Even the tax collectors do that. He said, but if you're seeking after God, you need to love your enemies. And how many of us do a great job at that? I don't think any of us do a great job at that. So nobody, up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, we may be awed by Jesus' words, we may be inspired and instructed by his words, but we're definitely not walking away from them feeling more secure about our standing individually before God. Now, the good news is that's about to change because we hit the heart and soul of the Lord's Prayer this morning. And we have to come into this place with a poverty of spirit. In order to connect with God, you need to realize you're not bargaining with God. You're not impressing God with your heart, with your good works, with your prayer time. And so to live my best life, I have to begin with that, that self-awareness, really. And in, amid the kind of the rubble of ruins now that Jesus has knocked down all of our attempts to build our own tower of Babel and get closer to God on our, on our own power, that we realize we really are sinners without one plea. Amid all of that, uh, we're still okay, and we are secure, not because of our work, but because of our very special relationship with God. He calls us his children, and that is how the Lord's Prayer gets started. Um, so really, let me just say this first off. There is no way of truly living your best life unless you take 
prayer seriously unless it is a big part of your life. So living your best life is definitely going to require this element of this connection to God on an ongoing basis. He is your creator. He brought you into the world. And if you're going to live eternally, it's because of him. And so you need to spend your time here connecting with God in prayer. And that doesn't mean, let's be clear, doesn't mean that prayer is going to be um, easy or natural for you necessarily. Uh, It doesn't mean you're always going to feel like praying. Um, Christian mystics for years called prayer ora labora, prayer work in Latin. It is a work. It is something that we deploy in our daily schedule. It's not an extra. It's not an optional thing. It is connecting with the reign of God in my life, with the Word of God uh, in my life, and looking for His dominion, not just in my life, but in the world around me. Ora labora, the work of prayer. And so right in the middle of the sermon, we get this incredible, most famous prayer of all prayers in, in all time, the Lord's Prayer. And it kicks off with this phrase in verse 9 of chapter 6, where Jesus is going to say, pray like this. Pray like this, he tells his disciples. So what we're going to do is just work through very simple elements of this prayer and learn something about who we are in God's eyes and how we connect with him on a daily basis. It starts with our position. So Jesus has wiped out any sense that we are spiritual or righteous on our own. But then he reminds us we have something else though. We have this connection to God as his children. God is our Father. When we are praying, we are, we are not simply praying to our boss, right? We're not praying simply to our king. He may in some ways embody both of those things, but more deeply, more directly, we're praying to our Father. And that changes the way we pray, right? He says, our Father in heaven, verse 9. There's an old story, very old story. Centuries ago, the story goes, a Roman emperor was returning to the capital there in Rome, And the emperor was leading a victory procession of Roman legions through the streets of Rome, headed toward the palace. And thousands and thousands of Romans lined the streets and yelled and shouted and celebrated the victory of their soldiers in a far-off battle. Now, the Roman legions were followed, as was the custom, by hundreds of foreign prisoners Those who had been defeated and captured in battle trailed along. But at the head of this parade was the emperor himself riding on a magnificent white stallion. And as you might imagine, there was exuberant celebration uh, as these victorious soldiers marched along the streets of Rome in their full regalia, right? And along the streets... There were other soldiers that were lining the streets to hold the citizens back so that nobody, you know, got too close or got trampled or anything in this parade route. But as the procession neared the palace, a young girl, a small thing, slipped 
through the legs of one of those Roman soldiers who was cordoning off the streets. And as she kind of squirted through, the legionnaire said, he said, girl, where are you going? You can't just run out to the emperor's chariot. And she looked at him and she sort of giggled. She said, he may be emperor to you. He's daddy to me. It was her father. And nothing was going to stop her from approaching her father. And this posture, our father in heaven, that, those are the first words of the Sermon on the Mount. And they are, in some ways, the most important words because they remind us of our status before God. We are deeply loved and treasured sons and daughters of the king, of the emperor of the universe. God is more than all of those titles. He is our father. And other religions may come before the throne of God and and see him as a fearsome force, as a distant deity. But Jesus right off the top says, your position with respect to God, you're his children, he is your father, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, uh, Paul reminds us that through Jesus we have been adopted, we have been chosen by God to be part of his family. So that's our position. And now we get to our perspective. We come before him as his children, also our perspective is that of, of his worshipers. Verse 9, it's that hallowed be your name. It's how the prayer starts The first request we make, hallowed be your name. Hallowing is setting something apart. It's not treating it as ordinary or mundane. It's saying it's above other things. God loves us. God is our Father, but He is not our BFF. He's not. We are not His equals. He doesn't need our advice like our friends and others around us might need. He is El Shaddai. He is Lord God Almighty. And so anytime we come before God, there may be this intimacy, but we always come as his worshipers. Um, And there are practical benefits to this. There really are. Because when you realize who God is, you realize who isn't God. And so many things that vie for the affections of our hearts So many of the things that keep us awake at night or so many things that we chase after, so many things that try to tell us, I'm in control of your life, you should worship me, you should adore me, they get knocked off their phony throats. When we come as worshipers of God, it keeps everything in perspective when we are a people who hallow the name of God. Proverbs 9 verse 10, and this phrase appears throughout Scripture. But it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So there's intimacy, yes. There's this father-child relationship, yes. But there's also this incredible awe and respect for who God is. And the place that he holds, not only in our hearts, but in the world that he created. And personally, I... I just appreciate how my perspective gets clearer and clearer the closer that I get to God. Uh, I consider 
uh, just to kind of think about this, I was thinking this week, I think about in biblical accounts from beginning to end, really Genesis <laughs> to Revelation, <clears throat> there are all these stories of people like you and me who get a visitor from one of heaven's message boys, from an angel, okay, sorry angels, but, but they are angels. They're, they are one sent by God. And so they're delivering messages to people throughout scripture. And, and you see where I'm going with this maybe because every time a mere messenger of heaven is dispatched from God's throne and appears before a person the, the, every time in Scripture. The person is, is crazy afraid. <laughs> they're, they're falling on their face, trembling before these majestic beings from heaven. And so that's why so often, almost every time, when an angel appears before someone, the first things they said is, do not fear. Do not be afraid. And I think about that. Because these are just God's messengers, right? Um, people are terrified when they come before an angel of God. And, and if one of God's messengers, of, by the way, there are 10,000 times 10,000 according to Revelation 5.11. If, if just one of these messengers makes someone terrified, makes them cower in fear, how much more awesome is the one we address when we bow our heads in prayer? There's nothing normal about it. It may be part of our routine, I hope it is, but it is an extraordinary act to speak to the God of the universe. And so we hallow his name. Moses, you remember Moses wanted to see God's glory. He loved God. He chased after God. Just show me your glory. And God in his compassion said, I can't. If I were to show you my glory, you would surely Die. You cannot handle my glory. You don't have the fuses required in your spirit to see me in my fullness. So in Exodus 33, God said, you know what though? I love you. We have this relationship. So I'll show you a glimpse. I'll give you a peek. When I tell the one I worship, when I tell God, hallowed be your name, I'm asking for his name on my lips and in my life to be held in the highest esteem that I, like Moses, might sense enough of his glory that everything else in my daily world gets put in its proper place. When we behold the one who is truly worthy of worship, the one and only who is glorious, we cannot any longer worship the substitutes. Money, pleasure, fame, followers, sex. We cannot worship those other pretenders. And even with his glory and power, we are invited, as Jesus tells us, to come into the throne room of God and to speak to him freely as his child. I get goosebumps thinking about that. So there's this position as his child. There's this perspective that I come as his worshiper. And then I find that I pray when I come in prayer, according to Jesus, I need to pray for his reign, not my reign. 
the expansion of his kingdom, not my kingdom. And this is a prayer for preeminence. It's putting him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come, verse 10. Yours, God, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus, you know, when he began his preaching ministry, he began preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is, is near. He preached the kingdom. In the beginning, the reign of God, in the beginning of time, the reign of God extended to every dark corner of our universe. He was the creator of all. And then we rebelled and sinned, and things changed. But the time is near when his reign will be fully restored, when his kingdom will come to every inch of this universe that he created. And never again will his reign be challenged or checked. We want that. We pray for that. His kingdom is breaking through where we see mercy breaking through, where we see goodness breaking through, where we see walls of, of racism and hate fall down. His kingdom is breaking through where the poor are considered, where injustice is rolled back, where righteousness is sought after. So we as <coughs> disciples of Jesus, we're asking for this in prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is done perfectly in heaven. So we ask for that where the wrongs will be made right, where injustice will be ended, where addiction will be forever broken and freedom proclaimed and relationships restored. We long for that. Your kingdom come. Your preeminence, God. Your preeminence, your rule, may it be restored here on earth. And when we pray that, we're saying, starting right here, starting right ha here in, my, in the corner of my world, in my heart, in my mind, in my thoughts, in my attitudes, in my behaviors. And now daily bread, we remember that one. Give us this day our daily bread. What is this? This is a prayer for provision. It's a recognition. Not only is God taking care of these <coughs> grandiose, divine, <coughs> eternal plans all over the world, <laughs> he's also taking care to provide me with what I need today. Food, sustenance, shelter. Give us this day, verse 11, our daily bread. <coughs> if you had breakfast this morning, if you had a cup of coffee, you can say, thank you, God, for that. Um, he is the one who provides your daily bread. Doesn't matter if you recognize it as coming from him or not, it comes from him. Jesus has already told us. God sends his reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. If there is a blessing that you enjoy in a tangible way, he is the source of it. James will tell us every good and perfect gift comes from our Father of lights. So what about you and me? We do recognize the source. 
We don't take it for granted. We are his children. We know where dinner comes from. We know where our shelter and our health and our basic necessities are being taken care of. And so we humbly ask. We recognize gratefully and we ask, continue. Give me today my daily bread, just like you did yesterday. Just like you've been doing my whole life. He is our Yahweh Yireh or Jehovah Jireh, our God who provides. And then, I've been reminded this week of many ways that it's just a fallen world. Just people broken and bent and struggling and, and messed up in so many ways. And so we can't as human beings, as fallen people who struggle with sin, we can't approach the throne of God without asking for pardon, asking for grace, asking for forgiveness. Forgive us, verse 12, our debts. And Jesus didn't talk about mortgages, car payment, car loans. Forgive us our debts, Father. Our debts between us and our Father. Our sins that we have committed, our failures, our weaknesses, and Jesus adds, forgive us our debts as we have been forgiven. Reminds us of how gracious God is with us. How he forgives, how he takes care of us. And we as his children need to act the same way to people around us. We offer that same forgiveness. When we refuse to forgive, we bring hell to earth. When we choose to forgive, we bring heaven to to earth. And so we forgive as our Father forgives. We offer grace because we have been offered grace. God has been gracious with us, and so we are gracious with others. Fleming Rutledge wrote a book called The Crucifixion, and he said this Grace is the gravity of our God breathed world. Out of his own surprising goodness, God made a world and invited us to be his honored guests in it. He set the table. He made the meal. And even more surprising, when we abruptly left that table to heed another dinner invitation, he cleaned up the mess. God is not just a giver, he is also a forgiver. His grace is a persistent and pursuing one. God does not wait for Adam to start looking for him. It is God who comes looking with the question, Adam, where, where are you? The first words spoken to a fallen humanity. Where are you? So, by the way, this, I, I just think this is a, one of the more curious phrases in the entire Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts or forgive us our sins, depending on the translation. Because this is the one thing Jesus prays that he personally didn't need to pray for. He didn't need this one. He did need to eat. He needed his daily bread. He didn't need forgiveness of sins, Right? How many times had Jesus sinned up to this point? Zero. He had never failed. 
He had never committed a wrong. But Jesus knows our spiritual resumes not quite so spotless. Jesus knows us. He knows that we are not unblemished. We need forgiveness. And so he taught us to humbly ask for that. When we extend grace, we reveal that we are his. We are like our father. We are gracious as he is gracious. And then finally, when Jesus prays, he says that we come praying as people who need deliverance from evil. We pray for protection. Deliver us from evil, verse 13. I don't think this will be a big shocker to you. The enemy prefers to work covertly rather than overtly. He prepares to work in hidden ways. He is the deceiver. He is the father of lies, Jesus said. He even masquerades as an angel of light. So it is covert, secret work. And Paul taught us this in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, you know, we do not wrestle against things you can see. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of, what a phrase here, this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, in the hidden realms. So there is a battle raging around you, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, your co-workers. There is a battle. And we as his children, we accept this by faith. We may not see it with our physical eyes, but we know it is happening. And if it is a spiritual battle, spiritual, then by definition, it is non-physical not something that you will observe directly, spiritual, right? And so he taught us to pray for help from heaven in this battle. Deliver us, Father, from evil. And Paul in Ephesians 6 pulls back the curtain and he says, this is what's up. Believers, you are under attack. Don't think that that happened by accident. You are under attack. And the Word of God is, is not trying to freak you out. It's not trying to make you paranoid. Uh, in fact, Jesus and Paul will both remind us we have an incredibly powerful ally in the fight. One who overcame the powers of hell and in Jesus overcame the powers of hell and sin and death. And in his burial, death, burial, and resurrection, we have that victory as well. We have a powerful ally in Jesus. But the Word of God does call us to be alert. Ephesians 6.18, we should be praying at all times in the Spirit. With all prayer and all supplication. To that, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Don't give up. Don't grow complacent. Again, your best life is certainly going to involve you praying regularly to your Father. 
Jesus said, deliver us from evil. And for the past 13 plus years now, that is one line from this prayer, one line that I do pray every day for my kids and my family. Deliver us. I mention my wife and my kids by name, and I say, deliver us from evil. And I ask it because I don't always see the evil. I don't always see with my physical eyes where the battle lines are drawn. So whatever is going on, Father, you see. Deliver me from evil in this cosmic realm, in this present darkness. And I ask it because I need his help. I'd ask you now, we're going to close out our time. Let's bow our heads together and we are going to pray those words. Jesus said, pray like this. And so, Lord Jesus, we pray like that today. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ask that you give us today our daily bread and that you forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In your mighty name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. And maybe today you need specific prayers and you'd like the elders of this church or somebody around you to pray over you and we'd invite you in this time of response to seek those prayers. You can come down, we'll pray with you personally, pray with somebody right around you this morning or turn in a prayer request as we were reminded already the shepherds will gather tomorrow and they'll pray specifically over each one of those. They do a great job of that. Maybe you want to place membership, we'd love to help you with that. Maybe it's time to give your life to Jesus I'm having some really good conversations with several people right now about that journey. And we're walking through Scripture. We're walking through their questions and their stories. It's amazing to see how powerful the good news is and witness that every time someone gives their life to Jesus. If you want to give your life to Jesus this morning and be baptized into him, you can do that. Let's respond as we stand and worship our Father in heaven. This is my desire Oh.
Gordon, and thank you, John Scott, for another wonderful time in worship. Three quick things. First of all, just a reminder, we're in the process of calling out deacons. Uh, so if you, you should have received an email, you also should have received a letter this week. Uh, that goes through the beginning of October. Just a reminder for you to submit your nominations for deacons. Uh, you, if you're joined Preston Crest as a member since the beginning of the year, you should have also received this week an invitation to join the elders for dinner. That is going to be next Sunday night at about 645 after uh, we gather together in worship. Uh, please, if you can join us, RSVP, so that we can have a, a good head count and order the food properly. But we look forward to uh, getting to know all of our new members that have joined us since the beginning of the year. Uh, and then just a quick reminder. If you're not coming on Sunday nights regularly, you really should. We've, become, we've begun a new series on First and Second Peter that Gordon and Jacob are bringing to us. So please come again tonight at 6 o'clock for a great time in worship and song, a great lesson, and a time in fellowship. Hear the word of the Lord and read this with me as we go. This is our take-home verse from Romans chapter 15, I think. I need glasses a little bit better than these. Read with me. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. And the church said? Amen. Amen.